Our scripture for today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Please join me in prayer. Lord, may our hearts be fertile ground for your word this morning. Um, if there's any fallow, land, fallow ground, break it up. If there's any um, dry ground, water it. And may your word be a seed that germinates in us and grows and bears fruit for our neighbors, for our friends, for our communities, and for ourselves, and for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wonder if you've seen the movie, The Conversation, stars Gene Hackman as Harry Call. Gene Hackman is a surveillance expert, and this movie I think was made in the 70s, so surveillance back then wasn't exactly digital. It just wasn't. Um, and so one of the really delightful things about the movie is all the sort of like analog equipment that he's really good at. Uh, he's got all these tapes and microphones and metal and wires and all this kind of stuff. 
And Harry Call is the best of his field. And um, he's paid to uh, record a conversation in uh, Union Square. It's very crowded. And he's got to try to figure out how to record this conversation uh, with all these people around and the couple are moving around. And he gets bits and pieces of it through different microphones and different methods, and then he assembles what he thinks is the conversation. Um, one of the interesting things about the film is that it's not just about that conversation, but it's also about Harry Call's inability to have conversations. Harry Call is a, an immensely private man. He has a coworker who he can't let into the business. He can't give him any of his secrets. He has a woman that he cares for deeply. And the conversations between them are confusing and disjointed and disjunct, dis, dis, yeah, disjoint. And, uh, and so throughout the film, you get the sense that Harry Call himself, um, is, his whole life is like a disjointed conversation. Um, nothing quite makes sense. Not, not everything fits together. Every relationship he has is disconnected and disjointed. At the end of the film, we find out that his interpretation of the conversation was completely wrong. Um, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but it's so old. It's older than I am. So if you, like, if you were holding out and you're like, I'm gonna watch it tonight, you jerk. Um, I'm sorry. What's it called again? The conversation. Just run, run out, run out, you don't want to hear. Um, but at the end of the film, he finds out that the way he assembled the conversation was all wrong, and the people he thought were, were going to be victims, who, who, the people he thought were going to be in trouble, were actually planning a crime, a very, very serious crime, that they ended up carrying out, and Harry Call feels responsible for not doing something about it. He also realizes in this whole process that he's been bugged. The bugger has been bugged, and he can't handle this. He can't handle being the one listened to, even though he's spent his whole professional life listening to others. And so the very last scene of the film is, is him tearing apart every stitch of his apartment, every floorboard, every wall, down to the studs, looking for the bug, and he can't find it. And so he finally sinks into a corner in exhaustion, takes out his guitar and plays a song. And that's the end of the film. <laughs> I do, I, I love the film, uh, partly because Gene Hackman is amazing and he gives a great performance. Um, but the other reason I love the film is because it does depict sometimes how we all feel. We all feel this sense of disconnect with other people. We all feel like we would like to have a free flowing conversation with others. We like to feel like we fit in and we make sense. We like to feel like we can talk directly to God and hear directly from God, but sometimes it feels like we only get the pieces of it. That's one side of, I think, sometimes how we feel. And ironically, this can happen with the people who are closest to us. Someone you've been with for a long time, maybe a parent or something like that, you still feel like you can't get that communication in line. The other thing I like about the film is this idea that we're being listened to. And what do we think of that? Do you like being listened to? What if somebody was always listening to you? What if it was God? Would you be okay with God listening to you all the time, hearing what you have to say? Harry Call didn't like it. 
I wonder how we feel about it. This idea that conversation is, is one way of telling really the whole story of the Bible. Because the whole story of the Bible, of course, begins in Genesis. It begins with the creation. And the creation is all about words. It's all about speaking. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. He didn't, you know, he didn't pull out a toolbox. He used words. He spoke everything into existence. He spoke, the, he spoke the flora and the fauna. He spoke the fish and the, and, the, um, and the birds of the air. And they all responded and they all were fruitful and they all multiplied. And so it's almost an automatic conversation with the world. God speaks and the world responds except for on day six, something shifts. On day six, instead of Genesis saying, uh, God said, let there be light and there was light, it's, it shifts to the first person. Let us make humankind in our own image. Let us make them male and female. Now it's first person. Now suddenly creation has gone from a direct you know, call and response. It has now come to address to all of us. God is speaking directly to all of humanity. And the answer is left open. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, they immediately are fruitful, they multiply, they fill the earth. But human beings, there's not a full answer in Genesis 1 for us. The call is there. One side of the conversation is there, but the other side of the conversation is left open. We are free to respond to God. The story of at least the Old Testament is a lot of examples of us and the way we respond to God, the way we carry on or choose not to carry on this conversation with God. One of the best examples of, of how we decide to not carry on the conversation with God is in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. A very famous, famous passage, the Tower of Babel. It's been used a lot in, in references. I mean, we now talk about babbling. As, a, as something people do, and we get it from the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, um, it starts off with people having a brilliant idea. <laughs> they say, uh, just, just as God said in Genesis 1, let us make. Uh, in Genesis 11, they say, come, let us make. But they don't say, let us make a response to God. They say, let us make a tower. And tower is kind of code for a city. And the idea of the tower is not like a quick way to get to God. That's what I always heard growing up. Like they just wanted to build it high enough to be able to get to God. Um, no, the idea of the tower was to make a name for themselves. In other words, let's make a city where we don't need God. That sounds like a good answer. Let's cut off the conversation. The conversation is risky. The conversation with God is a little bit scary. Because it means having to scatter. It means having to fill the earth. It means having to do all these things. It means having to be responsible. Right? Response. Able to respond. That's what that word means. Responsible. Able to respond. We'd rather not be responsible to God. And so instead, let's make our own little world where we don't need God. This is the Tower of Babel. And for a very short passage... It, one thing it really emphasizes is the bricks. And if you're reading the Old Testament and you see somebody talking about bricks, probably talking about slavery. 
So what's going on there? Well, they've, they've created a city, they've created their own world, a world without God, and what have they done? They've ended up enslaving themselves to this tower. That's the consequence of not carrying on the conversation with God. When we don't carry on the conversation with God, instead we get slavery. When we're just doing our own conversation, when we cut off God from it, this is always the consequence. It's freedom with God in the conversation or slavery within the city. I'm not against cities, just to be clear. Like, I think cities are cool. You know, I'm good. I'm good with cities. But what it represents there is profound slavery. Now, this happens again and again. That's, that's just one example. The Tower of Babel is one example. You see it again with the king, you know, like they've got Samuel. Samuel's this great prophet. And they're like, ah, this is a little too sketchy. We'd much rather have a king. The king would be much safer. Like the other nations, they got kings. And so they do the exact same thing there. And what's the warning about the king? The warning about the king is he will enslave you. So it happens again and again and again and again and again. They cut off the conversation. They don't want the conversation. And then finally, you get all the way up to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost brings us, I think, to where we are right now. The day, in the day of Pentecost, the world is deeply divided. Um, the Jews have been scattered all over. Adam very helpfully read us the names of all the places where the Jews have gone. Even a place like Phrygia. What are they doing in Phrygia? It's, it's a faraway place. I'm not exactly sure where it is. Um, but they're all spread out. There's lots of misunderstanding. There's lots of questions and confusion about God. There's lots of things standing in for God. Caesar, most notably, thought of himself as a God. Lots of people thought of Caesar as God. And there's deep cynicism. What we find in Acts 2 is just the legacy of Babel. A humanity that is not answerable to its creator and is seeking instead silence. It's seeking other gods. A people that does not want God to listen to them. And when they listen, what they hear is broken up, confused, and unclear. It, honestly, sometimes it's hard for me to see how we can ever get out of Babel. Sometimes I just, I don't know. You know, I hear in the news about, I mean, I mean, this is so common that you could just take whatever the week's headlines were. So there's a, I think there's something called a debt ceiling, and there's all these talks, right? They call them talks. And the talks are, you know, they're, well, they're protracted, right? We can't, we can't come to a conclusion. And then literally, I'm driving here this morning, and they're like, they came to a conclusion. And of course, the conclusion is, is they're going to put tons of amendments in the bill that are going to appease certain groups of people. They didn't have clarity. They didn't come together on some sort of robust common ground, a common understanding. Instead, they said, well, let's make a whole bunch of deals, and that's how we'll go forward. We see people more than ever, well, I don't know more than ever, but we see more people than ever moving around from place to place, from one country to another country. Over 100 million people in the world displaced, bringing their own culture, their own languages, their own tribe, whatever, 
They're bringing it to a completely other place, completely foreign place, and feeling deeply, deeply disconnected. No clarity, not able to communicate, pulling out their phones on a, I don't have my phone, but pulling out their phone to like Google Translate. And I don't know if you've ever been in this sorry condition of having to have a conversation with someone over Google Translate, but it is, it is very difficult. <laughs> and then the inability to sometimes even understand ourselves. Inability to be able to have clarity about who we are and what's going on in our own lives. And so we, we take the bits and pieces of ourselves and we offer them to other people, whether it be a therapist or a friend or pastor or whatever. And we say, can you make sense of these pieces? Because I can't. I don't know how it all goes together. Someone, please someone, tell me who I am. I'm all for the effort. I'm all for the effort, but sometimes it feels impossible. The deep confusion, I don't know how we can ever get out of it. We seem to be lost in translation. Into all of this, we read about the day of Pentecost. And it is the day of Pentecost that speaks directly to this situation, to this conversation that God wants to have with us. And the conversation that he wants us to have with one another. One of the first really surprise. I mean, it's weird. Okay, let's just name, let's just say it. Let's just say it. It's a weird thing that happens. So uh, there's a sound. It's like a violent wind. Have you ever heard a tornado before? It's the weirdest, weirdest sound ever. It's a strange, strange sound. And I, that's sort of what I imagine. Is there's because he calls it violent. He says it's a violent. Luke says it's a violent sound. And so there's this weird thing happening. And a lot of people are bewildered by it. And they use the word bewildered. But one of the big differences here is that there is bewilderment without confusion. Because, because while there's pr profound um, strangeness going on, and people are amazed and they wonder, what you don't find is anybody confused. In fact, it's utter clarity. So you have the, the apostles and they're speaking. And they're, they think they're... You know, they're, they're speaking, and everybody who's around, we have multiple languages, 15 different groups are mentioned, when uh, that Adam mentioned. 15 different groups, and they all understand exactly what's going on. And so while there is, there is clarity, it's not like a boring kind of clarity. It's not a kind of, like, sameness. It's not one group tells everybody else, this is the way it goes. You know, it's not... Everybody in the world finally just speaking English and then like just get rid of the other languages. It's not that at all. You have multiple, multiple languages here and everybody hears in their own language. Now, you can do two things with that. You can be amazed, you can wonder and be astonished, or you can be cynical, which is what a group of people do. And sometimes we do this. When something wonderful happens, we think, eh, day drinking. That's what's going on. <laughs> Day drinking. That's why they're all crazy like this. Cynicism's easy. Cynicism's really easy. I mean, I just did it. I just did it with the dead talks. Maybe that's a wonderful thing. Maybe that's the sign of the kingdom. The fact that they were able to agree on the debt ceiling deal or whatever. And I'm just being cynical about it. But it's so easy to slip into cynicism when God does something wonderful. Instead of saying... 
Maybe God's bringing clarity where we didn't know clarity existed. Maybe God's doing something that we never dreamed of before. So that's the beginning of it. That's what happens when the spirit is introduced into confusion, into diversity, into what seems to be a mess. I want to say a little bit more about this diversity piece because, uh, you know, one of the things we think is that in order to, um, in order to maybe fit in, in order to be understood, we have to change who we are. We have to become whatever the dominant order is. We have to sort of change ourselves to fit in. And that sort of works on a practical level, but not here. When the spirit is present, all of their diversity remains intact. None of it changes. And so there is no cost to clarity here. God's not saying you've got to become somebody else or something else to be a part of my plan and what I'm up to. So when he scattered everybody in Genesis 11, that actually was a gift. He doesn't reverse the scattering. They all keep their languages. They all go back to where they were. And the thing that unifies them is not a common language. It's not an ethnicity. It's not a social status. It's not a gender. It's not anything else other than the Spirit of God uniting them. That is where their unity lies, in nothing else. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways we could, a lot of ways we could, um, a lot of examples of that. That the, just for our community, for this church, the reminder here is that when you're a part of this community, we're not asking anybody to dissolve your differences, to leave out parts of yourself. We're not asking any of that. You know, it says that even the old men dream dreams. So let's hear it for the old guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not old yet, Ed. Um, uh, and the young, even the young, yes, even the young are permitted to uh, have visions and to see things. And then we need to hear those things that they've seen. And we need to hear about those dreams. And, and, uh, and it includes women. Astonishingly, it includes women, that's right. Um, and and, and so, the, so the Spirit is doing something remarkable here with, when it comes to, to diversity. Um, still, there is that piece about the listening. I think there is an anxiety about listening. You know, because we think that even if we, okay, Eddie, bring my whole self to this thing, but I'm not sure about my whole self. I don't know if I want to bring my whole self. There's parts of me I'd rather not bring. There's parts of me I wish didn't exist. And then if I were to say to you, well, God is listening. God is listening to all. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want God to listen. Just like old Harry Paul. You know, you want to find the bug. And you want to have some space where God doesn't listen. But here's the thing about the Spirit is that when God listens to us, what he hears is the Spirit. And so when he, and Peter, Peter says, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And so the thing that, the thing that God hears when he listens to us is he hears the name Jesus. 
And that's not to say he hears Jesus instead of us. That's not to say he hears Jesus' life instead of our life. He hears our whole life, everything about it, even the parts you want to hide from God, even the parts you don't want God to listen to. He hears all of that, but he hears the name Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus takes all those parts of your life, including the parts you don't want to be audible. He takes it all, puts it together, mends it, into a life that looks like Jesus's. Unfortunately, we don't get to see that quite yet. I so wish we could. Because right now, when I think of like my life, for instance, it still feels like bits of tape that still have to be put together in the right way. It still doesn't seem to all go together. But the promise is there. All who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. The promise is there. That life will get put together in the right way. Not the wrong way, like Harry Paul did with that conversation where he completely missed it. God is the only one we can trust to put the bits and the pieces of our life together. The really weird parts, the strange parts, the good parts, the decent parts, the, the profoundly particular parts that is like nobody else God takes all those bits of tape, puts it all together, and turns it into something quite remarkable that looks a lot like old Harry Cole just playing his guitar at the end of the movie, that looks like a song. I think that's what God does with our lives, turns it into some kind of a song. That's what I think is happening on the day of Pentecost. I'm interested what you think. I'd love to hear it sometime. Let's pray. Lord, we say the name Jesus. And by saying the name Jesus, we recognize that everything is gathered up by that name. Nothing is left behind. Nothing's on the floor. All of it is gathered up in that name. And so we keep saying that name, Lord, as we are pilgrims here looking toward home. Help us to keep saying it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fellow pilgrims, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.